The momentum is building, the change is coming, and the driving forces behind the change will be the leaders of the future. So as a leader, you have the responsibility and the opportunity to navigate through this complex world in a way that sets an example and creates a ripple effect. We invite you to join the transformation. Welcome to Unmachine Yourself. And in this podcast, I, that's anthropologist Rowan Van Voorst, speak with thought leaders on how we, as leaders, as employers, as employees, as humans, I would say, can unmachine ourselves, make us distinguishable from robots and algorithms and AI. And today I'm talking with Aras Najaria. And Aras has a wonderful job. She enables leaders, teams, and organizations in being purposeful and relevant. So basically she helps think about how do you stay relevant in these days. Um, and she does so for organizations that are either scaling up and need support in creating focus and pacing their growth, and for organizations that are stalling in their growth and needing to reframe and reignite their innovative spirit. So she helps us think what we will need now and in the future to not be overtaken and overrun and become redundant. I thought that was reason enough to invite her. So welcome, Aras. Thank you. Lovely to have you here. I'm happy to be here. And we instantly, when you came in, we started talking about your Armenian roots and, and I have an Armenian partner, so we have plenty to talk about outside of this podcast. Yeah. But you were saying that I sent you beforehand the first question that I always ask to one of my, to, to my guests. And it's not about the future. It's not about how to stay relevant. It's about what you thought you were going to do when you were a kid. And you had such a beautiful story to tell. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll retell that story. Please do. <laughs> Because when I got the question, I actually uh, called my parents. Uh, and I said, do you remember when we were younger, there's this Armenian tradition called Adam Hadig, uh, and it happens when the baby has their first tooth coming out. You gather the whole family around and you pick a selection of objects, you put it in front of them, and then you say, okay, which one is the baby going to pick? This is going to be their future profession. And unfortunately, my parents said, come on, you're so old now, we don't, <laughs> we don't remember anymore. And, you know, we're not the Instagram generation to have documented it uh, digitally somewhere. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have that uh, memory per se. Um, but I did remember, I have some distinct memories from when I was a, a child that weren't so much like a career or an end goal, but things that I just found I enjoyed and I liked. And then I kind of explored and went with the flow. And uh, one of the first experiences was I went with my Uh, mom and my aunt to see Les Miserables, um, which was uh, playing in Toronto. I think I must have been eight or nine at the time. Because you grew up in Canada. Uh, I grew right? up in Canada. Yeah, yeah, so I grew up in Canada. And, and um, there's a moment where Cosette um, is singing and the girl who was playing Cosette was probably my same age. And she was playing it in this, um, you know, not Broadway, but in Toronto, you know, right in the theater district. Uh, and I remember being so struck by the beauty of that, the the just a person and their voice and the theater and the whole, uh, you know, drama of that experience um, that I really thought, wow, the arts um, and doing this kind of stuff is just fantastic. Um, so I did a lot of that when I was uh, younger, but I never looked at it as something that, you know, I'm going to pursue this or I'm going to develop uh, this as a, as a career. 
Um, I found out later, and I'll, I'll talk about that later when I you know, talk a little bit about some of the work we do, is that you end up seeing that you end up combining art in multiple contexts and art in itself just doesn't go live on the stage or it doesn't live, you know, in the museum or wherever, but art has a place um, in our lives uh, in whatever shape or form, if you're doing it as a profession or if you're just simply doing it, uh, you know, to express yourself. Yeah, and just uh, like creativity is not just for artists with a big uh, abs- A, right? Absolutely. It's more like connecting dots or finding creative solutions. Yeah. Or, yeah, and it doesn't have to be something where you say, I need to earn money from this. You know, mm-hmm. we can do things simply because of the joy of actually uh, doing that. And that experience, and then another experience that was very impactful, my mom would read a lot of books to us, and then she loved reading adventure books. Um, She would read Tintin um, uh, and his adventures with his little dog. Uh, And that always stuck in my mind of like, oh, I want to go out and adventure and explore the world. I know you have a beagle. I have a beagle, finally now. I mean, I'm grown up and I have the dog that I wanted when I was a little girl. Uh, it was just uh, just wonderful how that ends up. Uh, but that happening. is interesting because Tenten or Kaufje in Dutch. Kaufje in, in, in Dutch, yeah. Um, so you went for the exploration for like in, investigating or getting to new, getting to know new terrains. Yes, and yes. getting to new, know new experiences. Yeah. And I was lucky. My school had um, an international exchange program for when you were uh, younger. Um, so uh, I kind of lobbied to my parents when I was 14 of, come on, you know, uh, other students are actually doing this. They're, they're going abroad. You know, can't I also be considered to go abroad? And, and my lobbying eventually paid off. And when I was 15, I went to Australia for six months. I think six months, roundabout. It's in the 90s. So, uh, um, and that was just a life-changing experience because, you know, I was literally on the other side of the world, Um, I had, I don't know, uh, traveler's checks and uh, a card to call home. And there was some limited like dial-up internet. But it was really being in in another place and another experience. And without the eyes of the parents. Without the eyes of the parents, which I was just running away from. I was like, you know, I want to go and I want to explore. If you're 15, then that's a lot of freedom. Absolutely. And of course, I was living with a family, um, you know, with siblings. uh, But it's never the same as like, you know when it's your your parents and your siblings. And I think that really spurred on this desire of, oh, what is it like to go to a new place and open a chapter of your life and discover a version of yourself and, and new possibilities uh, and integrate that into who you are? Yeah. You're still you, but you're another version or you bring another side and another dimension. And uh, Yeah, and, and you know what I, when I was reading through your bio and through the work that you do, what I found intriguing was that you have to advise a lot of different companies, right? Or people. And you're known to do that really well, but without you being the expert on their particular topic. So you don't have to know everything that they know, apparently, in order to still understand how they can make or stay relevant. Yes. So how does that work? How, how, How do you... Kind of explore because I remember yeah. because of the Tintin story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, how, how do you then go into a company with open eyes? You listen to stories. This yeah. is what I can imagine, but you'll yeah. have to fill in the dots. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think it's it's a combination of, of, of things. I think first of all, it always starts with curiosity, um, and I think if you're approaching a situation. Um, from a perspective of curiosity, then you're also, and also you have an advantage a little bit as an outsider. 
um, that you can ask a Colombo, you know, style question or a question that if an expert was asking it, people would, you know, judge it from a perspective of competence of like, oh, if you're asking that question, then it means you're, you're not competent. But when or you don't naive or you're naive, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, but when you, when you're coming in, that's, that is an advantage you can, you can take uh, of kind of saying, well, you know, coming in from an outsider perspective, you know, I may be raising a question that you say where is this question? But it's a, it's sometimes gives an insight and it allows people to start thinking differently of like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Or I'm so used as an expert to seeing that the business, of course it runs this way. It's not going to run any other way, but because I'm, I'm locked into the mindset of uh, me as an expert and what I'm used to and what I known has been successful uh, in the past. Um, so I think that that definitely helps in that first uh, that first exploration. Yeah. So so there's the curiosity. There's the beginner mindset, if I may. Exactly. Yeah. That was that. also something else I, I wrote yeah. down of of um, you know that beginner's mindset um, and the joy. You know, sometimes um, I have this really nice film clip uh, that's on YouTube. Is of this girl Madeline. She's taking the train for the first time. And then you see her. You see this little cute girl standing at, at the train station. The train is coming. You see like excitement and fear and joy and, you know, all kinds of different emotions coming out. And then she's going in the experience. And I think there's some, you know, some of that that we can bring into our everyday lives of like, how do I take it as a beginner rather than immediately like, oh, I must perform. I must achieve, uh, you know, right away if you're doing something for the first time or exploring a new way of doing it. And I've shown that clip sometimes um, uh, with teams in, in companies as a way to kind of spark also like, okay, how can we now approach this? And uh, rather than approaching uncertainty, we, we approach uncertainty sometimes with trepidation or with fear or with concern or with, you know, how do I hold on to what I have? And we can perfectly also um, uh, bring in the joy. We're forgetting to bring in sometimes the joy of exploring something um, without worrying about, is it going to go perfectly correct um, or perform exactly how it needs to? It's just simply a, an exploration. Um, and I think that that joyfulness of being a beginner and, and having that mindset is not just in your cognition, it's in your body. It's, it's how you're Expressing yeah. and experiencing. But it's funny it. that you use that word because I can also imagine I what I see, you know, being a futures anthropologist. So I talk to people in companies and I see a lot of fear where yeah. people say things are moving fast. We don't really know what to do. We don't know how the future looks like. Which direction should we take? Yeah. Right. And I'm sure you can tell us all about which direction they might or not take. But but this fear or concern, are we going to stay relevant? Will we be redundant? Yeah. You know, are we going to, going to lose our livelihood or the company that we set up with so much love? Yeah. And then you come in and you're like, let's have a beginner's mind. So as, yeah, exactly. Do you, <laughs> you can't just throw that into people. <laughs> no, because I'm sure you sense the same concern. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's a, it's a, it's an expected concern to have. We're all concerned about that, whether it's in, you know, your professional life or in your personal life, because we're having, you know, so much change coming at us that your brain and your body is also searching for stability. You know, how can I also have um, some sense of stability and, and, and comfort? Uh, and I think that's what makes the situation that we're in now so challenging is that um, how to yeah, how to basically approach the future. Because I also remember you had a question around, you know, future and future proofing. Uh, and when I read that, I was thinking, you know, 
well, could we also reframe it? Um, because I think sometimes people take future proof. Yeah. So, so the, as, the, the question that I often yeah. ask in this podcast, and that you you might have listened to as well, is indeed uh, what should people do, right, yeah. in order to future proof or make themselves future fit? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then when I thought of that, I thought, well, if you frame future proofing as in I need to not become obsolete, and I need to find a way to minimize, you know, the way that they do. Um, future-proofing and building designs is that they sometimes look at it from, from that perspective of minimizing stress and, and, and risks. Um, I think that may result in holding on to things that need to sometimes be let go of. Um, and I think that's the difficult thing about, about a, you know, if we can kind of reframe it as saying, how can I continuously kind of find a rhythm to be in to be able to look at the future as and, and guided by a purpose you know, guided by um, guided by understanding it's not about holding on to everything that I have today, but of getting to the next level. Of, yeah. uh, and that sometimes means letting go or, um, you know, reinventing. Um, but there's this... Uh, yeah, or, or unlearning. As unlearning. At Hatch, in, in many of the trainings, how yeah. do you unlearn? How do yeah. you kind of create space for new perspectives? And I think also it says... Surfing the waves, kind yeah. of, you know, rather than thinking that you have to um, conquer them or anything like that. It's more like, no, yeah. being comfortable with feeling that movement below your feet because that's not going to stop, right? In the no. future, things are changing even faster. That's yes. a very typical thing of the future, yeah. especially yeah. now, modern days. Yeah, Absolutely. And and the future, as in, you know, if we're framing the future by kind of saying, okay, we the future is predictable, and therefore I'm going to prove that I will know what to be able to do and be in the future, we're staying in a constant gap analysis. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also can be problematic because we're being deterministic around, you know, this is exactly how the future is going to evolve. Instead of, uh, you know, if you take a scenario planning approach, then you have, you know, various different possibilities of yeah. how that future could end up. And then can we kind of agree and make choices on what could guide us uh, at a higher level rather than at a kind of a specific, yeah. not forgetting the tactics. Absolutely, but, which is often like I'm a future foresighter as a background as well. Yeah. And, Oftentimes people think that I will build if I work with a company or if I work together with Hatch for a company that I build one scenario. Like this is Yes, a, but no. This is the truth. This is typically like, four. Like that's yeah. that's how most of us work. And four pretty realistic scenarios. Yeah. And then you can already navigate a bit or practice a bit. And at the same time, if you are informed, you can at least make your preference. This is the yeah. preferred scenario, right? Exactly. Which also makes a... Yeah. But I want to go back to the concern because I also think, you know, there's almost a, a sadness as well for people who sometimes they worked in companies that were top-notch 10 yeah. years ago. And you could go to a party and say, I work for that company. Oh, yeah. And you were the cool kid in the club. Mm -hmm. And now people really are judgmental about that same company in yeah. a very negative way. Yeah. And and not always because they see the complexity in right ways, right? Sometimes there's a lot of norms and judgments just built on nothingness or yeah. social media. <laughs> on opinion. On, yeah. On, but, yeah. But nevertheless, it, it must be really hard to say, I work for that company and still feel, yeah. but we're actually doing something of use. And as an example, sometimes to my students, I say, well, you can be really angry with oil companies, I understand, But then look at your earplugs yeah. at the moment. They're also made from the same material, just yeah. showing that 
we cannot stop using that material now. So we still need people to work in those yes. organizations. Yeah, there's a transition. There's yeah. a transition that needs so to happen. So how, how yeah. do you support yeah. people in that kind yeah. of really sensitive environment? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there's multiple ways that you need to do that. It's very difficult. And I find it sometimes tricky where people say, you know, I have the solution and it's this. It's like the silver, you know, the mythical silver bullet that's going to kill all the werewolves or, or whatever. Um, I don't think that exists. I think it's a combination of things. Like, for example, giving space to these types of conversations, space for people to actually express and to feel that they're not being invalidated, that they're not being judged for the fact that, and that it's not this movement we're creating where we're saying, you see, there's a bunch of us over here that are ready to go to the future and that you people, you're the ones that are holding us yeah. back. And only if you now become super green, super circular, you can stay alive. You can stay alive. And that's, you know, that's that's also not... When you look at, uh, you know, humans, we're, we're, we're driven by our five senses. So we're not just, you know, in our heads and in our dreams, but with our reality. So people also see factually, wait a second, this isn't, you know, going to die uh, all of a sudden uh, overnight. Um, and I, I think it's also giving space to like, what are the things that are relevant from today and that, you know, we know that we're actually going to need them in the future? And how do you evolve that? Um, because if you're approaching it as saying like, we're going to cut this right now, uh, it could be that some of that business is, you know, we know is going to fade away over time, uh, but then we make, you know, we make a plan for that. Or we say, well, it's going to uh, not grow at the same pace that it was uh, growing uh, in the past. Um, I think that's a journey to get there, though. It's not just from one day to, and it's certainly not top down, kind of telling people, you know, dictating to them and saying, you know, this is where we're going. It's how can we involve and, you know, bring the consciousness of, you know, and wanting to do it having the letting go um, and then being ready for, for what comes next. Yeah, I think a couple of the things that you touch on, it's like bringing the beginner's mind, admitting that you don't know, that you're open, that you're curious, that it's a, like a democratic conversation kind of. It, it may sound weird, but I also always find that you need a bit of experience and courage in order to get there. Yeah. Because in the beginning, if you're really young, or at least that's how I used to be, and I think many people... I tried to show that I knew, right? Like I yeah. wanted to give the answer. If people would ask me a question, I did not dare to say, what a good question. I really don't know. Yeah. Because it felt like I was invalidating myself. So what did you learn how to get where you are now, yeah. where you're so open? Um, I, you know, I, I thought of this uh, question a, a bit. I even asked for some, you know, some friends and, and from colleagues uh, some input. Like, hey, you've known me for, you know, more than a decade. Uh, what do you think? Uh, and there were a couple of things I came up to. Um, one of them was um, something that I would say earlier on I had a kind of a talent from. I think I was always um, good at engaging, influencing, you know, being with people. But sometimes I could... Um, if I got locked into an idea that I was very much in love with, uh, then I was very pushy. Mm, and then yeah. people would feel like, you know, you're not actually giving space to, you know, to my ideas um, and to, you know, letting that be heard as well. So I think over time, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today without actually being able to really actively listen, really, you know, summarize well, um, bring people along and also not push in kind of bringing people along. Let that be a, an invitation. I think... Two areas that I um, learned hard life lessons. One of them was um, realizing that you don't need to do everything yourself. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm always quite compassionate towards others, willing to offer support. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you're not willing to, at least I was not willing sometimes to kind of say, okay, 
should, should I really be doing this? Am I really the one to be doing this right now? Am I now? the best or, one to do or am, this? And well. Am I the best one to do this right now? Or do I need to do it to, um, you know, to this uh, extent? Um, uh, and I think that's a, that's a very valuable lesson to learn, you know, because over time you also learn to manage where is it that I'm adding most value uh, and where is it that I'm using resources, um, people, you know, things around me in, in a smarter way. Um, to be able to work uh, better uh, and to, you know, put my energy where where I really want it to be. Um, and the second one that I found also challenging, I would say it's a life journey, is, you know, how I think there's there's so much positivity nowadays in society. It's like we can do anything. We have all kinds of possibilities, especially in, in, you know, look at the, the country that we're living in. You know, you have lots of options for education. Uh, you can imagine all kinds of things for, for your career. We're always fed stories of, you know, look at this person. They started with nothing and now they ended up there. So it becomes very achievement oriented. And I think at some point in my life, I hit a little bit of a wall uh, of then saying, well, wait a second, I'm missing also joy in my life of the things that I used to do when I was younger, um, that I was doing them simply without a purpose. Like I didn't, I, not a purpose, but not without a kind of an achievement reason. You know, I go for a run because I want to go for a run, not because I need to calculate, you know, how did my heart rate, you know, there's moments where you maybe want to do that because you're training, but you can also just go for a nice run and you don't need to yeah. worry about doing that. You can practice yoga. And if you fell over, that's not a big deal. You know, were you connected? Were you breathing? Were you mindful? You know, those things are, are, are more important. And I think that that for me is also a crucial one is, you know, just living, enjoying. And you mentioned before that one of the ways in which you're still enjoying has to do with art and the way yeah. in which you were inspired as a kid. So how does, how is art interwoven in your work? Yeah. Um, or the work of the ELP network? In yes. I mean, I, uh, in various ways, I think uh, some of it is through people, like through people who also are uh, opera singers, who are writers, who are musicians, um, and bringing them into the work that we do, doing that work uh, together. Uh, you know, a lot of the techniques that you use in theater, uh, improvisational uh, theater especially, they are great techniques to actually then say, hey, let's, you know, shake up our bodies, let's shake up our minds, let's, you know, bring a new perspective. And I think also the fact that um, these people are professional artists, you know, they're living and breathing in this world. Um, they can bring, you know, they can make relations with that experience of, you know, where was I frustrated or happy or joyful or, you know, up or down uh, in writing a book, you know, and how did that um, uh, then, you know, how can that relate to uh, uh, to the business world? Um, I also brought you something. I also, um, I will bring you a second copy as well, or you guys can argue over. <laughs> we will it. argue. And Enio, who's doing the sound but, uh, here in this production, and I will argue yeah. for the rest of the day. Yes, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we also um, made a book a few years ago, but it's a picture book. Uh, and the picture book basically goes, you know, you could read it cover to cover. It's a series of questions with visuals. Um, around realizing breakthroughs, around what's the journey that you get from, um, from the moment when you kind of feel like, wait a second, there is something afoot, there, there's something around here, um, a change needs to happen or a change is coming. And then when is it that you, you know, like in the hero's journey, you cross the threshold. It's the moment where, you know, okay, I'm going to go into the unknown. I'm going to go and experience something. You get, you know, all the ups and downs and, and pains of the journey. And then by the time you supposedly reach an end, there's always this next, you know, a next adventure. You're at a new, 
um, you're at a new level. Even if you end up at the same place, your journey has changed you and, and others around you. Um, that was such a fun and creative experience for us because it's literally playing with art. It's looking at uh, different photographs. It's looking at different things, saying, you know, as a team, okay, what question does this raise for you? What question does this raise for another person? How would you, you know, put these together uh, in a storyline? So, I mean, those are, are two ways. Um, yeah, it's similar to what the a Machine Collective is doing with a lot of surprises coming from artists, whether it be Ennio. Exactly. Who makes beautiful <laughs> poems and spoken word or whether it's another type of kind of artistic yeah. surprise. And it touches people on a different layer than words can do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Even, you know, something I've seen is, is that a lot of uh, people who are executives, you know, busy with lives, uh, you know, and we're all busy, we're busy with our work lives and our family lives. Uh, we've also forgotten to read fiction, uh, you know, novels. Um, and we had, uh, we worked with a company uh, once where um, the CEO, you know, really wanted to encourage uh, creativity, other thinking, you know, getting inspiration. Um, and we have uh, in our ELP network, a writer, uh, and he's also a performer, dancer, Danny Scheinman. Um, his first novel uh, was about a love story, his own love story and the love story of his grandparents. It's called Random Acts of Heroic Love. And we actually gave that, uh, you know, Danny was there with us in, in, in one of the um, uh, journeys that we were doing together. Um, and it, it was such a significant statement to say, you know, you're in business and your CEO is giving your top 20 executives a book on love. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's an engineering, you know, these are top engineers. Um, so you're often thinking, you know, very rationally, very, you know, uh, falsify mode. Uh, and the purpose of it is really to get into that creative mode, to tap into another uh, kind of energy. And I thought that also was a stand as a leader. Of like, as a leader, I absolutely will show this. It's sometimes I think of um, one of the companies I worked with where they said, it's no longer when you have a break, you go on, you go and do a walk in the park. No, yeah. it's part of your work to go on walks or to meander or to gaze out of the window because these were people that had to think yeah. deeply for their work. And oftentimes we get, we drown in the busyness in yes. replying to emails, right? And we don't get to the actual deep thinking. So I thought it was really strong that she there to say, like, take two hours per day during the work yeah. to just go on a walk. And I don't expect you to come back with something, but I yeah, do that's foresee good. that perhaps you will, you know, at least... Give your brain some space and some quiet and who knows, you know, what comes up. Yeah. And I think sometimes one of the questions I wanted to ask you without saying this is fixed, this is how the future will look like. But one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, do you see some overlaps from all the work that you do of the type of companies or skills that people yeah. would find useful in the future? And if I would answer that question for myself... I often see that they are now categorized under soft skills, like yeah. being empathic, being creative in your thinking, being flexible or agile is the new fashion word. Yeah. But then I think soft, perhaps we should call them really important, you know? So do you recognize yeah. that? Do you have I, other ideas? I'd love to hear you. Yeah, I actually recognize that. And and we had we had um we have, you know, we, we have one of our projects, I don't know if you've seen it on our, our website, but um, we also have an ongoing research um, uh, project with um, 
uh, two professors also um, to bring in also the academic uh, uh, angle into it. Uh, Amy Edmondson, who looks a lot at uh, teaming, who's based in Harvard, and Paul Verdun, who was uh, he was based at Solvay and the Berlin School uh, uh, for Creative Leadership. Um, and with them, we've been doing you know series of circles, uh, conversations, uh, interviews. Uh, and last year was really on the topic of intangibles, which then I think you can say maybe also sometimes gets categorized as you know, the soft, whereas we actually know. So explain yeah, for the people who don't know yeah. the concept, explain yeah. what it is. In, it's a intangibles, they're all the things that we see their, their impact in the business and we cannot quantify it the way that we can quantify an EBITDA, the yeah. way that we can quantify, you know, our, our, the number of, of staff we have, the way we can quantify our infrastructure, it uh, might even our be, IP. For example, to make it concrete for people, if we think about this podcast, whether or not it will be a nice episode is not just dependent of what you're going to say Absolutely. and of the audio that NEO yeah. is doing, but also of the vibe, right, between exactly. us. Whether we have, a, but we can't really feel that or point yeah. to it, but it's certainly important. Absolutely, and you cannot measure intangibles in the in the same way that you would measure uh, the tangibles. Um, and I, I think that that's quite, it's quite an interesting, it's, we're in the middle of, of kind of summarizing uh, those findings. So I'm happy to, to share them uh, when they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's very interesting is that everybody can sense that, that, you know, if we can also um, be able to tell that story of, you know, what are the tangibles? Um, how do we actually, the intangibles, how do we actually work with those intangibles and make that clearer in terms of the impact they have, the way uh, it's driving the business. You know, an, an example for me of, of something that's considered an intangible but has a huge impact is what's your purpose, you know, as a company? Um, you know, why do you exist? What's your reason for existence? You know, you can say that that's quite intangible or for some companies that that seems like, oh, maybe it's nice words that are written on our website yeah, or written because on the wall. It also... I think nowadays has kind of, and and sometimes I have to admit, even to me, has this connotation of something that all the companies say they have, but sometimes as an outsider, you're like, well, but it seems really you're just in it for the money, which is okay, but nobody has on a wall purpose to earn a shitload of money. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Well, even sometimes people feel that, you know, in in business, sometimes they have the need to kind of state that of like, you know, we shouldn't forget we're making money. And, And sometimes I look at that a little puzzled because I'm like, well, you're set up in that way. Like that, that is something that you have to do. It's, it's like. In order to survive. Well, it's like telling maybe to some extent, breathe. Yeah. You know, take in, you know, oxygen, expel uh, oxygen. You know, you need to find a way, and especially to become sustainable. If you're a scale-up, you need to find a way of of essentially being able to know, can we earn uh, money on this? Because we have an obligation also to pay our 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 people, you know. If not, you're growing, and then you have to let go of hundreds of people because you weren't able to actually uh, capture the value that you were uh, creating out uh, in the world. And and I think that's... um, that's something around purpose where you can also make it very specific. You should see that that's coming alive in our products. So we should be able to use it as a filter to, to say, you know, can I see that purpose then alive in our, in our products? Can I see that in terms of, you know, tangible and concrete goals? Um, you know, how does that come to life in terms of what a customer will experience? So if, if you know, we're a food retailer and we're saying, you know, a lot of stuff around uh, a healthier future, how does a customer feel when they walk into the store or they're shopping online? Um, you know, do they, uh, for example, um, uh, how are you using their data? You know, that's also a question I think that that comes up uh, 
for many businesses. Of, mm-hmm. You know, are we using that data for ourselves as a business? Is that something that, you know, me as a consumer, I can, you know, have access to what I was actually buying and I can see, oh, you know, maybe I could make a different choice next time. Yeah. Maybe that would uh, would help me. So I think that's that's the the... The, the challenge is to, you know, not just talk about the intangibles, but to frame them in such a way that we can make it, we Into can make that connection concrete yeah. and we can make that visible. And that isn't necessarily always, you know, can be summarized on a PNL the way that so much, you know, other parts of the business, but it can be summarized in, in many other ways. Um, and Absolutely. And I think that becomes even more important if you look at the future of work, where probably it will be, for some companies at least, more hybrid or yeah. even remote completely, um, which means that if you don't see each other as often in the office, you'll have to not just write it down so that it becomes really explicit. Yeah. What does purposeness then, our purpose then mean? Yeah. Is it in the way we write emails, in in the amount of emails? You know, if you say exactly. we don't want to overburden our people, for example, if, yeah. if that's one of the things below the main purpose, like the way in which you want to treat your staff. Okay, so maybe you don't want to email through the night. Maybe you want to so, yeah. uh, encourage people to not overwork, etc. So it, it yeah. and then it becomes so important to do that in every email or every online meeting that you have. Yes, to really double show it almost because otherwise. Otherwise, you could still sense it in daily meetings, but it's now that the, falls the, away. I forget who said this. I'll find the name on, online later. It's the smell of the place, even. It's it's mm. you know the vibe. It's it's those the um, jokes that are being made. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that that is those are uh, they seem intangible. They are extremely tangible in terms of the lived experience of uh, and making explicit. You know the example you just gave of you know especially for people younger people getting into the workforce you know you're looking and seeing is is that the role model that i'm supposed to be so am i expected then to respond to that email that came at midnight uh, is that you know and is that something that we've agreed is that what we want to do or is that okay you know somebody can also send that email and say you know what i just sent it to get it off of my brain i'm not expecting you at 8 a.m. in the morning to actually have a response to that so yeah. and i think that that you know you can't just make tangible in a summarized number it's through conversation it's through making explicit it's through example yeah um Yeah, and if you things. because if you look at the future, for example, and 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 I'm saying like 10 years ahead or so, if you would have a vision on the companies that succeed in scaling up and becoming yeah. bigger, what is your hope? Which type of companies do you hope? You know, what type of and it doesn't have to be content, perhaps also the way in which they work, but what would yeah, you like absolutely. to see scale up and succeed? I, mean, I think there's a movement that's already emerging of the types of companies that we want um, for the future, but Um, it's emerging in parallel to, you know, other types of, of companies. And, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, the hope would be is it's that there's a growing movement on, um, you know, looking at uh, emissions. There's a growing movement on circularity. Circularity has been around for for decades. I mean, you can go to the 60s or 70s and, and people were already thinking about it then. But now it seems like we're reaching a, a tipping point because, you know, financial markets are moving there. Uh, more and more people are becoming uh, more aware of it. But at the same time, I also think there's um, there's a lot of questions around, for example, um, technology. You know, the role that technology is playing in our lives. I think the question you've asked, you know, I heard in some of the other podcasts and the question that you sent to me in terms of how do we not let ourselves be overcome and dictated to by technology, but know that we created it. And therefore, you know, I can choose 
how I'm going to use and interact with that uh, with sure. that technology. Um, and I think that there, you said something in, in one of your podcasts. I think you're you're writing a a new book. I just published um, a new. You book just published on, on the future book. of of human love and relationships. Yeah, right? and and it struck me when you said I think um, that you know these dating apps they are incentivizing you to not find love to actually yeah. stay. They're built on the hope, the romantic hope. They're built on the romantic hope, which is anyways you know you can then go read Alain de Botton or, or others on you know the the challenges there. Um, but that's I, I mean I find that fascinating is that there's businesses that are incentivizing us to sometimes do things that maybe we don't necessarily want could or you know we want to be in the lead for that but then how can we actually then be able to to stay in the lead for that um, and I think that's something that you know if, if I see the movement that's evolving and I say okay how are we actually going to be able to handle that or there are, are there some businesses that are actually going to break out of that. Yeah, uh, because they do exist, just to stick exactly. with that example. Like one of the, and we have to round it up, but yeah. I think it might be nice for listeners. That I think sometimes finding a new business model with new incentives for that business yeah. can be as simple as, in this case, there are now dating apps. There's a Dutch one called Breeze. And their business model is not that they get money as the longer you stay there. Yeah. Their business model is that they get money when you go on a date which is a very simple change, yeah. but I think it's kind of revolutionary because yeah. it means that they only get money if you are essentially having a nice evening with yes. at least somebody, you know, who you have overlapping interests with. Yeah. And that they, they don't promise, you know, everlasting romance, but just a nice evening. Yeah. And so I think those creative ways of, we can still make this thing, this product, yeah. but let's do it in a radically different way. Exactly. And so it becomes a little bit more fair for... The customer, yeah, but we don't have to not earn money. In fact, yeah. they're earning yeah. good money. Well, you're you're making that. That's really then sustainable. You know, yeah. it's it's also something that you know you're creating value. You know, not just for the group of customers, but for you know you're you're taking creating value for your employees. If you can't make money, how are you going to pay people eventually? Yeah. You know, you see so many scale ups burn through cash, uh, and if you burn through cash, you know, only saying we're just going to focus on uh, you know a lot of a lot of tech companies, if they, especially if you're going in like the blitz scaling mode, which is really around, you know, let's go all in. Um, at some point you need to look and say, you know, can we really finance this? Or is it that suddenly we need to jack up prices because we were undercutting ourselves because we were on this quest for, you know, we need to get users and users and users. So I, I think then looking into the future, I'm hoping that there will be you know, a movement also of challenging that. Yeah. Kind of new types of, uh, of business Wonderful. models. Yeah. And you already mentioned a couple of things that you've been listening to, but do you yeah. also have like a favorite inspirational book, just as a last question, yeah. a book that inspires you in your work or a quote or a movie or a podcast? Doesn't yeah. Matter, yeah. Something you know what? I wrote them down actually, because I did want to for it. One of them you already mentioned, which is the Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great, it's a book that you can just even kind of keep going and, and Absolutely. Um, one of the podcasts I like is um, from this guy, Jonathan Van Ness. He was on the Netflix show um, Queer Eye, uh, and it's called Getting Curious. Mm. And it's such, it's it's very joyful. It's very exploratory. Um, I really, you know, and and that is just, you know, for whatever. I can get some inspiration or I can just be like, well, that was a great laugh. I, I got a totally different uh, perspective. Um, and I recently read... Um, Twyla Tharp's book, The Creative Habit. She was the mm. famous American uh, choreographer. Um, that's a really, it's a really nice one um, because there's so much that uh, I could resonate with, you know, and even 
um, I had read that and then I had listened um, because I wanted to get a flavor of, you know, what is this podcast of all course, about? And, of you course, know, yeah. Uh, uh, what's the conversations? And um, I think Robert, who, who was on uh, recently. Um, Robert Tamer, that was a really nice yeah, episode as well. Yeah, and, and then, you know, you, you start reading things and then you start learning around, oh, you know, these people who are incredibly creative, they also need to set up boundaries, you know, because she talks a lot about how I won't watch certain shows or I won't go to uh, the movie theater because I need to really, uh, you know, close myself uh, off. And I think that's a habit that's um, that's very helpful sometimes when you need to be creative. You can't have a slew of notifications, beep, 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 beep. You know, you need no. to say, I'm not going to engage with you right now. It's not an emergency focus on on this so yeah that's a, those a are few. wonderful tips thank yeah. you so so much Great. Aras and uh, for the time you, flew by absolutely yeah. that's the best conversations and you yes. can't measure it yeah right flying <laughs> time but but it does for all yeah. of you listening this was the unmachine yourself podcast I, I hope and expect that you uh, really took a lot of inspiration from this conversation and if you want to learn more either about Hatch, the Unmachine Yourself Collective, or about Aras Najarian, please do visit the show notes. Have a look there. Uh, we share all of her contacts. We share the tips that she just gave you. Um, or have a look at www.imhatch.com and you'll find exactly the same links. We're easy like that. Till next time.